bowler bus, you ten-speed Declans. Make a gentle noise with the heels of your slipper on the kitchen floor. Record it. Send it to Jim Carr. Tell him it's a weeping ghost. What's the crack? Welcome to the Blind Boy podcast. My name is Blind Boy, and you are listening to my podcast. Um, before I continue, I need to I need to plug some fucking gigs, cause I'm shit at at plugging my own gigs. I very rarely mention them, even though I should. And do you know what? I usually don't have to because they sell out anyway. And people seem to find out when when the live podcasts are on. But the promoters of the gigs get very annoyed when I don't actually mention that the gigs are on. So here's some upcoming live podcasts that that you should come along to. Because as you can tell from the odd live podcast that I play, they're fucking great, crack. It's a very enjoyable night. So this Friday, the 15th of February... I'm in Mayo. Um, I haven't got a guest picked yet. I will be picking a guest. That one's almost sold out. There's only about 30 tickets left for that because it's this Friday. So if you're in Castle Bar in Mayo, come along this Friday the 15th. March the 4th, Vicar Street, Dublin. Again, that one is, is about... That was sold out. And then what I did was... Usually when you do a gig like Vicar Street, what happens is that I'd have a guest list. And the guest list could be, we'll say, 30 tickets, right? If I wanted to invite a lot of journalists or whatever the fuck. But I never I never used the guest list, to be honest, you know? Maybe one or two people. So I released the guest list, basically. So those tickets are now on sale. So Vicar Street, the 4th of March. There's a couple of tickets left for that. The very last few tickets. But, on the 6th and 7th of April, I'm doing two more Vicar Street gigs, 6th and 7th of April. And those have just gone on sale, so there's a lot of tickets for them. So, 6th and 7th of April, Vicar Street. Belfast. We always have a good time in Belfast. Um, To the point that, like the last, the last two Belfast podcasts that I put out for you, the first ever live podcast was with Donzo, which was fucking amazing. Um, Donzo was the doing the historical tours of the areas in Belfast that were impacted by the war or the troubles or whatever you want to call it. And then, of course, we had Bernadette Devlin McAlisky. So, with Belfast, I've really got done some high-quality podcasts in Belfast. So the next Belfast gig is the 12th of April in Whitla Hall. And I'll tell you why I'm choosing Whitla Hall. The podcast that I did with Bernadette in Ulster Hall, it was good crack, but that venue is very wooden and there was a large echo. It was quite echoey and I wasn't crazy about the sound of that when it was recording. So I'm moving it to Whitla Hall, which is the same size, I think, but possibly better sound to record. And then on the 10th of May, Dolan's Warehouse, Limerick City. Back home, Limerick City. I'm in Dolan's doing a live podcast. 
there might be one or two other ones some t- somewhere in between as well but these are the ones that are in front of me right now so people who are booking those gigs for me there you go I've advertised it on the podcast okay chill out relax take a yoke you'll be grand so how are you getting on has your week been gentle Um, great response to last week's podcast <clears throat> it was a live podcast recorded in uh, the Sugar Club and we had Collie Ennis who was Trinity College research fellow expert in frogs and insects very enjoyable um, got a lot of people talking got a lot of people talking and thinking about insects do you know I think I can hear a tomcat I could have sworn I heard a tomcat outside outside the window of my studio. I, f- I fucking can. Hold on. You're not going to hear that. Oh my God. Can you hear that? Fuck me. Listen to him. Is he taking the piss? He sounds like a fucking house alarm or something. Yeah, so that's a tomcat. What the fuck does he want? That's they're very forlorn, aren't they? Do you know he like? Maybe it's February. He's he he could be looking for sex. Like he that could be. Yeah, that would be a, a, a some type of sexual call that that tomcat is doing. And yet he sounds. Sounds like a house alarm that's just received a lot of bad news, you know? A house alarm who's been told that a relative has just been diagnosed with an illness. So he's there fucking... I wonder if he, if he'd say anything back. Yeah, I could hear him outside. But <clears throat> I've no doubt that Tomcat, because it's, it's like February, it's probably like... Wanting to have sex and create kittens, which is joyous, you know. For him, that that's the equivalent of throwing on some fucking aftershave and firing up the Tinder, see who's around, you know. But instead, he walking around the graph, the side of my alleyway, interrupting my podcast and, and sounding quite morose and miserable, you know. Bringing bad vibes, bringing bad news into the podcast. Maybe that's his thing, do you know. Like, maybe, like, he just happens to be the one tomcat who's uses his sadness as a a technique of sexual selection. Like, you know, maybe other, other tomcats around the gaff, maybe there's one of them who's, you know, really big and good looking. And that's how he finds a partner. And then there's other tomcats who are... Maybe class at hunting, you know. They bring back the most mice. But this fella is neither. So his way of attracting a mate is... Kind of true... I won't say pity, but by... Wearing his sadness through his call. Like, he, he he's an artist cat. He's like a... He could be like a poet. Do you know? That's... He advertises his sadness. And... That's his way of getting attention. It's like, oh, I can't catch any mice. 
and I'm not very strong. But you can hear in my heart that I have depth. Do you know, like a fucking lad up in the smoking area of the workman's up in Dublin. Sit, standing in the corner smoking a rollie. Looking sad. And then hopefully a, a girl comes over and wants to wants to fix him. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe the type of cats that this cat is attracting are the type of female cats who, for some reason, want to cradle a cat who's emotionally wounded. And then six months into the relationship, they realise they're changing the emotional nappies of, of an adult man or an adult cat. Maybe that's who that cat is. Am I overanalyzing his call? I don't want to be too flippant about that either because that situation is a real... That's a very common role play in relationships that can be toxic. Do you know? And... it Just from my experience from talking to friends, it does tend to be women will end up finding themselves attracted to a wounded man or a man who they feel they can fix. Now, it can happen with either. Like, I I know a lad who's like that with girls, but because of gender roles and because of, you know, how society says the gender should be, you know, women are caring, that type of thing, it, it just tends to be more, I think, women who end up in that situation of being the carer we'll say and yeah it's it's an interesting one it results it, it causes quite a lot of unhappiness the Freudian reading of it would be I don't know Freud would go straight back to the parents so maybe the the lad the tomcat in that situation who's Wearing, wearing his wounds as a way to attract female attention. Freud would say that that tomcat or the lad would have had a, a strange relationship with its mother, with his mother when he was a kid. That maybe, for whatever reason, the child felt that it was difficult to get attention or love from his ma, so this has developed into an, an adult man who, as a way to resolve and to make that childhood connection with the mother, is crying, you know, and hoping a woman who has now been sublimated into a mother figure unconsciously will come along and soothe those tears, but they're never satiated because it's essentially based on an irrational childhood desire that needs to be worked through. You know, a child like that could find themselves faking illness as a way to get attention from the mother. And then the female or the the woman who's attracted to that type of man or <clears throat> who finds herself in those type of relationships where the attraction is to fix a broken person could have come from a family where 
either a mother or a father or a, a sibling was particularly kind of like dramatic or there was a high level of drama or pain and this left a kind of emotional unease in the person whereby they now as an adult seek out partners who are sad or unhappy and they want to fix them and you know that's ultimately it sounds like a noble thing a good thing but what can happen then in the relationship is that the person who's fixing the broken person right first off first off it's an inauthentic relationship if we take it back to like the transaction analysis podcast a few weeks or a few months back it's a complementary toxic cycle that doesn't have an end so one person has a wound and another person wants to fix the wound but the wound it doesn't exist do you know so what can happen in the relationship is that the person who's the fixer the healer can completely end up ignoring their own needs ignoring their own needs by putting the other person first at all times and then the other person is toxically playing up to it and it's a continual cycle of crying and fighting and and the love in the relationship which in an adult relationship should be based upon equality mutual respect empathy compassion you know that's healthy adult loving relationship instead what it's about is one person really hoping that the other will change so and where that can get dodgy is all levels of toxic and abusive behavior can become normalized because one party is no no they will change if only i work harder if only i try harder i will change them and then we will have the happy relationship that i know we can have but then the relationship is just about work for one person and for the other person a continual kind of toxic cycle of sad sad and upset behavior that's never challenged do you know it's it's never challenged it's fed it's when the child cries the mother comes and offers a hug but at no point is it like you're not a child you're a fucking adult and you might need to take some personal responsibility personal responsibility is abdicated in in that form of relationship no essentially what it is is no actual genuine adult connection is made no on on behalf of either party the person who's wearing their wounds to try and get attention and the person who is f- trying to fix and change that person in the relationship at no point is a true loving adult connection made because ultimately it's two parties who are trying to resolve a kind of an issue around love and intimacy that's rooted in childhood so it's like a, like a like with transaction analysis which which is a psychoanalytic therapy so it it has its it has one foot in freudian therapy but what you're talking about is two people as actors in a relationship acting out a script and a role over and over and over again 
and no genuine intimacy reached. And that's very common. So I might have I might have highly overanalyzed now that fucking particular cat's call. But that's that's just what it brought up for me. That's what it brought up for me. You know? And and you know what as well? <clears throat> Most likely the cat that we just heard there because I as I, as I mentioned on a few podcasts a few weeks back I've got two stray cats up my back garden who I've been feeding and sheltering for a couple of months and they have a little hut that they sleep in so that male cat is probably the male cat that I feed out my back garden but he sleeps with his sister I the, the two cats that the two wild cats that I have her brother and sister and they sleep together in the same bed so yeah no wonder he's going around the place howling and screaming for fucking mate and he's sleeping in the same bed as his sister all they do is bicker with each other all the time actually an update on that situation when I spoke about those those two cats a couple of months or a couple of weeks ago the little hut that I made for them the male cat, the tomcat, was sleeping in there himself on his own and he was kicking his sister out and she wasn't allowed in at all. Uh, and she has now successfully managed to get in there and now the two of them sleep together in a, in a, a very cute, warm-looking ball. All right, I did not expect the fucking this to be a, a cat rant. But sure, that's what happens. Do you know what? That wouldn't happen in RTE. If if Joe Duffy or whoever was doing his radio show, I can't imagine him stopping it to listen to a Tomcat. So, in the interest of, of what this podcast is, which is essentially a, a free jazz type of bo- bo- broadcasting, I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with the diverging into cat themes. And the subject of fucking RTE, actually. Um, this will show you that just the lunacy of the national broadcaster. So, when I was doing the podcasts, the live podcasts in Sugar Club there two weeks ago, I got an email from an RTE researcher, right? And the, the email was asking for permission for RTE to come to my live podcast, right? And to record it, to video record it. So that they could take that footage back into RTE and use it as internal research to develop some program. So this is RTE going, wow, the Blind Boy podcast has got a lot of listeners. It's, it's, it's getting more listeners than most of our actual fucking radio shows that we spend a lot of money on. So let's, let's ask Blind Boy... If we can come to his gig, record it, observe what he's doing, then take that and try and copy it inside with no irony whatsoever. Straight up asking me. I said fuck off. But like, th- this is why it annoys me, right? Like four years ago, I went to RTE and said to them, I basically pitched this podcast to RTE, right? I didn't... Whatever was going on in my head, I didn't think I, sh- I should do it as a podcast. I thought the smartest thing to do would to be would go to RTE and say to them, give me a one-hour radio show where I just talk or I play music. Give me an arts show, basically. 
That's what I wanted. Give me a radio art show. I reckon I could have a crack at it. I didn't even get a response because the pitch of that was so ridiculous to them. It's like, you could have had this podcast, lads. It's a bit late trying to come and copy it. Now, it was offered to you and you aren't fucking arsed because you didn't have the imagination or capacity to take risk to allow it to flourish. And even the the TV stuff I've done for RT over the years, massively underfunded. Like, our guide to 1916, which got nominated for a fucking IFTA, we had to make that on a shoestring, and then they broadcasted it at 11pm on New Year's Eve, which is the worst slot you could possibly give anything ever. Because they just thought it was too weird and risky, I suppose. And anything we've ever made for RTE has been pushed into these really weird slots where no one would ever see it. Because there's a lack of ability to spot talent, a lack of creativity, a lack of a fear of failure. All the things that you need to have something successfully creative are not present in under the structure and system that exists in the national broadcaster. So, for me, that's very... It's just annoying. That's annoying to have him come to me and say, can we can we video what you're doing? Because we, we, re- we now recognise that what you're doing is worthy. But we'd like to copy it, please, if that's all right. But, do you know what? I'm f- much, much fucking happier doing what I'm doing now with this podcast because... I answer to nobody and I don't have any pressure to have balance the fact that RTE were lazy lazy is the only word to use it they were lazy with myself with the rubber bandits and with a fuckload of other like young talent in Ireland over the years who should have been given decent platforms but I'm happy to be doing this because it's funded by you, the listener. Do you know? It's not funded by the BAI. It's not funded by the, the, the what you call it, the TV license. And with that comes a lot of freedom. Um, a huge amount of freedom. I don't have to balance. Balance is the word that's used. Like, if, if you're funded by the TV license, if you f- express an opinion, you also have to kind of express the counter opinion because you're using taxpayer money. But often that means platform and pricks, do you know? So there'll be no hot takes, put it that way, lads. There'll be no hot takes. So I'm happy doing what I'm doing here for ye delicious cunts. And I couldn't say cunts. But anyway, wait for it now next week on the Ray Darcy show. They'd have a tomcat in the studio, Ray Darcy commenting on its balls. So right, anyway, that, that Tomcat has so far dominated the fucking podcast. We're 25 minutes in, <clears throat> and I've just been detoured by a screaming cat at the side of the studio. Let's do the, uh, let's pause, pause for the adverts, will we? Um, troubling news, lads. It is week number three with no ocarina. And I was in London... And 
I had the ocarina with me. So I threw it into my luggage, or so I thought. I can't find it. The ocarina may be lost. I may have left the ocarina in London. So I'm going to buy a new one. I'm going to buy a new ocarina. Hopefully it'll sound the same. But it served me well. 70, no, about 68 episodes um, of the ocarina for the ocarina pause. But I, I, there's a strong chance it's no longer with us. I may need to get a new ocarina. And I bought it in Cordoba in Spain about four years ago. And I haven't been able to find that same ocarina vendor. It's a handmade one out of clay. But I'll get a new ocarina. But this week I don't have an ocarina to do the ocarina pause. And I can't think of, even though I'm in a room full of instruments. There's a guitar. Fuck it, we'll have a crack at the banjo. There happens to be a banjo beside me. And I don't know if it's in tune. We'll have a fucking banjo pause. Will we? Yeah, alright. So, every week, there is uh, adverts inserted into this podcast by Acast. Um, So, normally I play an ocarina to notify you that there, there may be an advert coming up. But this week, I've got a banjo, so we'll do a banjo pause. And hopefully we can <coughs> get it even, even remotely in tune with the, the song. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. go that was the banjo pause somewhat in in unison with the piano music in the background and you know what it sounded more like um a koto which is a, a japanese a japanese stringed instrument because i was i was bending the strings Do you know like i don't i own a banjo but i can't play a banjo in like playing a banjo is is a particular type of style which I can't do. I can play guitar, so 
I can play a banjo like a guitar and, and bend the strings in a way that it shouldn't. So, also, this podcast is sponsored by you, the listener. Um, I rarely have corporate sponsors on the podcast. Instead, what keeps this podcast going is you, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast if you like the podcast if you're enjoying it if it's performing a service for you in the week with a bit of entertainment there is an opportunity for you to give me a few quid for my efforts um if you if you met me in real life and you'd be like i'd like to buy that cunt a pint or a cup of coffee here's the way to do it patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast please sign up it's a a monthly um a monthly fee and you become a patron of this you don't have to um whether you do or not you still get the same podcast i'm kind of asking people to do it out of goodwill more than anything you know and it's going quite well so thank you to everybody who is a patron of this podcast and please consider becoming one but if you can't afford it that's grand so we've taken a bit of a queer turn from where i thought this week's podcast was going to be but because of the cat but that's grand that's grand i'm all right with that um at the moment i'm i'm stupidly busy i am ridiculously fucking busy i've too many projects oh yeah that sound there's an interesting sound I have a, wa- have a water bottle, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm drinking enough water every day, but I have a water bottle that makes a a very pathetic whistling noise. I could have used this, actually, instead of the banjo. Hold on. Yeah, it makes a very pathetic whistle. Hold on. Listen to that. Sounds like a grieving mouse in the distance. Maybe the fucking, the, the grieving water bottle mouse could hook up with the the forlorn cat. And they could just be grand together. Without bringing their toxicity into our lives. So yeah, I'm balls deep in the middle of a lot of uh, projects. Um, <clears throat> and I'm I'm and I'm making things worse for myself. So I'm currently in the kind of, I suppose, editing stage of the BBC show. Which is taking up a fair bit of time. I'm obviously doing this podcast... Writing my second book, which is between 500 and 1,000 words a day. And also this week, I in my studio where I record this podcast, I set up a camera for myself on the end of a movable arm with the eventual goal of... What, what I wanted, I said this at the start of this podcast, what I wanted was to have the facility where I have at all times... A high quality camera ready to go at just the click of a button so that I can create vlogs are increasingly what I'm looking at now is the possibility of streaming on a website called Twitch Um, maybe either playing video games or answering your questions or just talking shit on Twitch don't hold me to it because like I said, I'm incredibly busy, so I'm going to try, try and figure that one out. 
But what I intended this week's podcast to be about, because it's a a huge theme in my week as such, is procrastination. When I get up in the morning, like I've I've all these projects on board, I I manage myself. I don't necessarily have a boss, so I have to be one hundred percent on the ball and efficient and disciplined with my work output. I have to get up in the morning and crack my own whip and I have to put my arse down in the seat and I have to write my book for a certain amount of time, then I have to take a break, then I have to dedicate some time to doing the BBC stuff, then I have to have a think about this podcast and then on top of that there's organising all the, the social media. So what's required for that is discipline, daily discipline. And the enemy of this is the desire to procrastinate, okay? Procrastination is... Everyone suffers from procrastination. It's an absolute cunt of a thing. And this is what I battle with every single day. And I successfully conquer it. I rarely give in to procrastination. I I can nip it in the bud very, very early so that it doesn't become an issue, even though the pang is always there. And I can I'd confidently wager that you too suffer from procrastination. I have yet to meet a human being who does not suffer from procrastination. It's a very common thing. But as with anything, it's it's a spectrum. Do you know? If I let if if I let procrastination get the better of me and I go weeks and weeks without doing work, that for me I know that is a known trigger for me for mental health issues to start creep, creeping back. If I go three weeks to a month, every day getting up, not doing my work and giving in to that urge of procrastination, it will chip away at my self esteem. Uh, my sense of self-worth, my happiness, my confidence, and eventually I will start to experience the beginnings of anxiety and depression. Now, I haven't had that in about four years. I have, you know, in about four years, I haven't had a situation where I've allowed procrastination to stop me doing what I need to do. Mainly because I... I have identified it as, for me in particular, being a very, very dangerous thing. And often with procrastination is the more you leave it go, the more severe it becomes and the more painful it becomes. So what I want to do this week, and I might be possibly overlapping or revisiting shit I've spoken about in previous podcasts but I want to speak about procrastination this week I want to talk about what it is and why we do it and what you can kind of do to overcome it in your own life so ultimately you know what is procrastination procrastination is when you continually put off an important task okay now, I'm not kind of 
some shit we procrastinate because it's unpleasant. You know, if I I don't like cleaning my studio, I don't I like I'm 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 kind of messy, so I don't like cleaning things. I find it boring and unfulfilling. So if I'm procrastinating that, it's because the task is not pleasant and I don't really want to do it. So that's a form of procrastination, but it's not, it's fairly simple, you know. It's okay to not want to do something that's unpleasant. You just have to pull your fucking socks off and do it. Pull your socks off. Pull your socks up. See, that's typical me now. If I was to sit down and try and clean my room because I don't want to do it, I'd do something stupid like take my socks off and go, oh, I wonder what the floor feels like in my bare feet. So there's a Freudian slip. You pull your fucking socks up and you just go, no, the room needs to be cleaned. I know I hate doing it. I'm going to do it. That's, let's call that healthy procrastination. Healthy procrastination is a thing. It's grand. We all know what it is. Unhealthy procrastination is what I want to talk about. This is the shit that can have a real and meaningful negative impact on your life and can eventually it, it can really fucking people can procrastinate for years and end up very very unhappy at the end because time has passed and opportunities are gone do you know so procrastination the most common form of procrastination occurs because of a fear of failure right the failure, the specific type of failure, it's more than just failing at a task. People who suffer from procrastination in, in whatever area it is, what you'll often find is that bubbling underneath the surface is some very maladjusted coping mechanisms around self-worth okay now here's the thing with human beings our what we will defend most right you know where our insecurities live is our sense of self our identity and our self-worth and let, let's just <clears throat> take it from the artist's perspective because i'm an artist and i procrastinate in, in areas around creativity okay I don't procrastinate in other areas. It's around creativity. So a person who procrastinates has some kind of faulty assumptions. And they would be um let's just say it's it's let's just say you're a writer, alright? What I produce, right, what I write is a direct reflection of how much ability I have. Okay? then my level of ability determines how worthwhile I am as a person. So the higher my ability, the higher my sense of self-worth. And then finally, what I produce reflects my worth as a person. These are faulty assumptions of self that a person who suffers from procrastination probably has. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, you have to go. You have to kind of again go Freudian on it. If you're creative, okay. If you're handy at painting, handy at music, 
handy at writing, whatever it is, okay? If you're an, ar- an artist, or not even art, all right? If it could be sport, it could be whatever endeavor you're in- engaged in. I'm just going to keep it creative because that's what I know about. Chances are, well, no, not even chances are. If you're particularly skilled in an area, you probably showed signs of being skilled in that area from a very young age. So for me, it would have been music, uh, painting or drawing and writing, shit like that. When we're kids, the adults around us give us praise when we do these things. So if you're a four-year-old and all of a sudden it emerges that you're very good with crayons or you're handy at drawing, the adults around you will pat you on the head and go, wow, look how good you are at drawing. And that shapes our sense of identity. We then start to feel, oh, fuck it. If I'm handy at drawing, that means that, you know, and the adults are saying, well done you. I must be a good person when I'm good at drawing. So that then manifests itself as an adult whose sense of worth in themselves has now become attached to whatever kind of ability or talent that they have. So I'm a professional fucking writer. My job and my living depends upon my ability to write good stories or write good fucking TV scripts or do good podcasts or whatever. My livelihood depends on this. But also what I have to be incredibly fucking mindful of is that my sense of self and my self-esteem and my identity and my worth as a human being is not intrinsically linked with my creative fucking output. Okay? Because when we contextualise that set of conditions in terms of what failure means, failure now stops being bad at writing or not ba- not bad at writing <clears throat> failure no longer be is, is about the task that you're doing but it becomes about your worth as a human being so if i sit down to write a short story for my upcoming book and my worth and identity from childhood is based upon you know being witty or being clever or being creative, or being, you know, handy at writing. If this is the way that I am, it means that if I sit down to write, if I write a pile of shit, which happens several times a week, because that's part of the process, but it means that if I shit down, shit down, if I shit down and write a pile of shit, if I write a short story that isn't good, if I'm not careful, it means that I'm interpreting the failure at that task as me failing as a person. As me feeling that I'm a shit human being because I just wrote something that is shit. So the fear now, the fear of failure is the fear of failing as a human. And these are all unconscious processes. But, as you will know, the feeling of personal failure or the feeling of 
you know, feeling less than or, or thinking, of, you know, saying to yourself that you're a piece of shit, that you're not good enough. These are very painful emotions. They're... Those emotions are where mental health issues start, do you know? And we will really go out of our way to not feel this way, to not feel, to not put ourselves in situations where our self-worth is lowered. And obviously the issue there is allowing an aspect of behaviour such as writing to define self-worth that's toxic it's toxic and it's irrational so I have to consistently have in my awareness that because as a child I received praise for being creative that just because I'm a fucking adult whether I'm good or bad at music, art, writing, whatever does not define my worth or value as a human being. That's my fucking mantra when I sit down every day to write or to edit or to do whatever the fuck it is I'm doing as part of my job. And I have to, I have to think like that or else I'll get creative block. If I get creative block, I can't pay my bills. It's that simple. A kind of, a very simple case study of you know, how does procrastination stop us? How how does procrastination, the fear of failure, manifest itself as procrastination? Very simple. What it essentially does, <clears throat> it puts you in a situation whereby you can never really try your best. So let's just say you have a task. It's a Monday and you have a task to complete on Saturday. So you procrastinate Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and then you do all the work on Friday and you cram and work like a lunatic and eventually deliver what you're supposed to deliver on the Saturday, okay? If you're happy with the piece of work that you deliver on the Saturday you can say to yourself wow, this is really good and I didn't even try I did it all in one day imagine how amazing it would be if I'd have actually tried but then, if the piece of work is something you're not happy with, you get to say to yourself, of course it's shit, I didn't even try. And in both situations there, you're protecting yourself from giving it your all. Because the ultimate fear is, if I try my utter best at this task, and I give it 100%, and I work on it every single day, if I do that, and at the end, I'm left with something that isn't good. Then I truly am a fraud. I truly am a real piece of shit. And this idea that I have of myself as being good at this thing is all lies. It's bullshit. Because I tried my best and I failed. That's the big, big fear. And <clears throat> ultimately the problem there is... It's associating something that you do, like an aspect of your behaviour, whether it be painting, music, writing, fucking tennis, swimming, golf, whatever. 
if you if you attach your identity to a hobby or to your profession that's very very dangerous it's very dangerous and you will ultimately end up completely unfulfilled and with regrets so it's something I have to have in my awareness at all times and it's tough going because I not only grew up being you know like I was shit at school I was really fucking badly behaved the only time I was ever told I was good by either fucking my peers my parents my teachers the only time I was told that I was good was when I painted a picture or wrote an interesting short story or creative writing or if I said something funny only when I was being talented was I ever told that I am was I ever did I ever get praise and because society rewards behaviour but I obviously along the way internalised that as if I am getting external praise from people when I express talent then I've managed to sublimate that as I must give myself internal praise when I express talent and we covered how that works in a podcast a few months back on the theories of Carl Rogers the psychologist you know that's pure Rogerian psychology right there but I ask you if you suffer from procrastination, evaluate it on those terms. And a good way to find out, if you want to find out, is your identity tied up with something that you do? The key is to fucking... Do you want your friends to see you as the person who is good at tennis? are good at painting, are good at writing. Is this how you see yourself? Is that the ideal version of yourself? And if that's the case, if you want to be if you want to identify as that, then you should probably in the interest of being better and being professional at the thing it is that you're doing, separate your self-worth from that task. Because the stakes for failure on a personal level are too fucking high and it's unrealistic it doesn't have to be that way at all that's bullshit if me for instance you know I'm writing my fucking book if I if I introduce fear if I introduce the, the fear if me sitting down to write a short story if that short story being bad means that I have to feel like a piece of shit how can I possibly be creative how can I achieve a sense of flow? Creativity is is about freedom and having fun and exploring. Negativity and criticism, all these things need to they don't they can't exist in a creative space. Creativity is is a, is a childlike state that has no judgment. If I sit down to write and the fear is at the end of it I have to hang my head in deep shame if I don't do well. Fuck that. Not only do I not want to sit down and write, I'm not going to fucking go near it. I'd be terrified. So every day I have to remind myself, this aspect of my behaviour, writing or creating music, these do, these things do not define my value as a human being at all. 
the only thing I can I have intrinsic value and so do you we all have intrinsic value and the only aspects of your behaviour that it's not bad to kind of hang a bit of value on is being nice to people showing empathy being compassionate listening to another person's needs do you know um, like taking yourself out of the selfish kind of bubble that our heads are in all day and listening to another person and trying to do something kind for them if you can that's not a bad kind of aspect of your behaviour to look at your worth around you know being compassionate to other people but whether it's like being good at creativity or being good at sports or being good at your job these things don't define your worth as a human being so that's what I do every day when I sit down to get my work done I remind myself of that fact and I also <clears throat> failure is 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 a I've started to introduce failure as an inevitable and necessary aspect of my creative process you have to fucking fail all the time because you learn from it so sometimes sometimes if I'm sitting down to write I almost stare failure in, in the face and I try and set myself up for failure not in an unconscious unhealthy way but in <clears throat> a consciously healthy challenging way like there's a short story in my book Um, I wrote it last year it's called Reha Karki and in this short story I remember when I sat down to write it I was feeling procrastination I was feeling I, I, here was the problem I didn't have an idea about what I should write a story about and, and this was making me feel insecure and it was making me feel uncomfortable so I was avoiding sitting down to write so what I did instead is I said no fuck this this is procrastination creeping in I need to fight this now I need to sit down I need to write something and I'm going to embrace failure here how should I embrace failure I started the story off with for, I started it off with how it should end the story starts with two fellas deciding that they're going to go to Rory Gallagher's concert and they're going to skin him take his skin off and then wear his skin on stage and try and pass themselves off as Rory Gallagher I literally started the story off with something as ridiculous as that to put myself into this really fucking difficult corner that my creativity had to work its way around and by doing that by I stared failure into the face ultimately is what that was it was such a stupid ridiculous way to start a story that I had to write myself out of that there's no way that I could have failed beyond it I'd given myself an impossible puzzle and I did it and then completely entered a flow state and I entered flow because the fear had subsided there was no fear because I'd set myself, <coughs> set myself up for failure and I just let the flow happen and I managed to creatively get myself out of that conundrum and ended up with a, a good story that was quite creative so that's an example there of how I introduce failure into my creative process if it's a piece of music 
I might deliberately try and start off a song with sounds that are incredibly ugly or at a beat, a tempo that's too fast. It's, it's, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a, a challenging puzzle that sticks its two fingers up to failure by ultimately failing at the start as a kind of a playfulness and through doing that and incorporating that into my creative process over the years it's meant that sitting down to create something is no longer frightening for me so um so that there is my that's my personal style of procrastination that's what i have to battle every day in order to do my job there's other types of procrastination that not ones that I suffer from but there's many reasons that we procrastinate another one is perfectionism if you're kind of a secret perfectionist and you mightn't even be aware of it when you go for a task you'll actually set yourself it's like you've, you have an, an unrealistic evaluation of your own capacity and ability so the perfectionist procrastinator will create a massively unrealistic goal and schedule something that is far far beyond their ability because they're searching for perfection so you're immediately setting yourself up for failure at the start so let's just say it's a fucking dinner party and you want to have a dinner party for next week instead of you know sitting down planning thinking doing something manageable it's like alright there's 8 people coming over what should I do instead of doing something logical such as I don't know if someone told me I'm feeding 8 people next week I'll just say right I'm going to make one giant pot of stew or I'm going to make a lot of meatballs and it's all going to be in one pot and there's going to be loads of it because that's the most practical way to feed 8 people if you're a perfectionist Instead, what you'll do on a Monday is you will plan. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask every person what their favorite dish is, and I'm gonna make a different meal for every person depending on their favorite dish. So you've already set yourself a hugely unrealistic goal, but aren't aware of it, and then you procrastinate that. You end up doing fuck all. And of course, why? Wh- wh- of course, you'd be doing fuck all because the task itself is completely unachievable. But your perfectionism stops you from realizing that that is an unachievable goal. So there's another style of procrastination. Sometimes people who are perfectionists have an irrational fear of being me- mediocre. This can happen with children who are. What do you call it when you don't have brothers or sisters? Only children. Only children who are kind of overparented, whose parents do nothing but tell them that they are special and that they are brilliant. That child can turn into an adult <coughs> whose experience of being told that they're special, that they have turned this into thinking that being ordinary or being the same as other people is contemptible and is you know can lower that person's self-worth so this person's self-worth is dependent upon being different and being better all the time so this person 
can again like the perfectionist this person can project manage by creating something completely unrealistic and then procrastinating the fuck out of it because how are you supposed to complete a task that you could never complete in the first place anyway another form of procrastination can emerge when some people can be afraid to be successful a deep unconscious fear of succeeding uh, this can kind of come about again like it, it, it a lot of it is all rooted in childhood and then self-worth like if your parent is overly critical or if you had a parent who would strive all the time for you to have humility to be humble you know don't accept compliments don't get a big head don't be big headed you're not that great don't don't get uh, don't lose the run of yourself this type of thing from a very young age if a child receives that type of negative encouragement or a caution around appearing to be big headed then that child can develop into to being an adult who has an unconscious terror of being successful a good way to kind of identify that in yourself is you know how do you feel when you get a compliment does it make you go red does it make you feel that you don't deserve it does it make you feel shame does it make you feel like you should apologize if you receive a compliment this can manifest in procrastination by kind of a self sabotage again you're given a massive project instead of going at it rationally planning it what happens is you're fearful of it but the fear isn't failure the fear is succeeding because your kind of sense of self and self-worth is not based around being the best or is not based around being a person who succeeds and that's one that's a rare enough one but it is it is a, a procrastination style i i would guess that that particular one would be common with uh with women because of because of how we're raised in this society you know for success is kind of a male thing climbing the ladder is a male thing being number one is seen as a male thing and when you're raised like that i wouldn't be surprised if there's a gender element in fear of success if you didn't have that many successful icons in the field to look towards when you were a kid but that that's just me hot taking but i would wager that's a possibility um i'm definitely trotting over certain territory that i've spoken about in previous podcasts because i just know from speaking about it i've i've most likely mentioned procrastination before but I don't see a harm in a lot of this podcast. I like to talk about what I'm going through as I live my life, you know. 
So in order for me to be authentic with the podcast, I need to reflect that. Even if it means sometimes kind of going over stuff that was covered in previous podcasts. But like, yeah, that that's my that's my life right now. I'm I'm so busy and I have so many projects that I have a daily ritual where I have to be very mindful that I don't procrastinate, that I don't allow my insecurity to creep up, that it doesn't matter to fuck if my creativity is good or bad. That doesn't affect my value as a human being. It just means that I might be staring at a shit project. And so what? So fucking what? I, that's inevitable. Of course I'm going to create something that's shit. You have to. That's what happens. And the classic mantra that I've mentioned several times, lads, and it's a great way to start your morning. I am better than nobody else. Nobody else is better than me because I have intrinsic value. And the other one, because of this intrinsic value, no aspect of my behavior can define what that value is. It's intrinsic. It can't be taken away from me. And I have the same intrinsic value as you. And you have the same intrinsic value as me. And that's all that counts. So before I sign off. Um, yeah because I have to fucking finish this podcast now. And do a lot of BBC editing. But before I sign off. <coughs> I'm a cunt of a cough now. Sorry about that unnecessary loudness in your ear. Um, before I sign off. I spoke a few weeks ago about UFOs. And I've never seen a fucking UFO. I think I saw something once that was a bit UFO-ish. But uh, I asked ye for like UFO or ghost stories or whatever. And I found this lovely UFO story. That I thought I'd read out to ye. And I'd keep it anonymous. But I got I got sent this as a, a Twitter direct message. <clears throat> On the very early morning of the 23rd of September 2013, between 2am and sunrise, myself and two other friends, Kean and Mikey, were left stranded without a car at a pier by Loch Derg that is sometimes referred to as Holy Island Lookout, which is close to Mount Shannon in County Clare. It was relatively calm and clear, with stars in the sky. After some time, Kean turned to me and said, I didn't want to say anything, but look up into the sky and tell me what you see. My mind was blown. As I walked to the end of the pier, looking up into the sky, I said, Fucking God, no fucking way. The stars were no longer visible, and across the sky above the lake, there were 40 to 50 of these hovering objects that I can only describe as UFOs. Each had three lights on top in a triangle, and underneath... There seemed to be flashing green, red and occasionally blue lights giving them a flying saucer type shape. They were all completely silent and were zigzagging in position and seemed to partially zapping in and out of existence at the same time. There was one that looked different to them and it was like a red triangle and was a lot lower than the rest. We observed them for about four and a half hours Thousands of questions and possibilities of what they could be and what they were doing went through my mind to try and come up with some sort of logical explanation. The electricity 
seemed to have been out on the Tipperary side of the lake and when they gradually moved over our way and were above us there were power cuts over our side of the lake. At one point a plane was taken off from Shannon Airport and was very clearly beside one of these crafts and I said surely they can fucking see that. Then that UFO actually leaned down towards it to look at the plane and then straightened back up again to go about its business. We eventually got freaked out and started to walk back to Mount Shannon village still observing the things above the lake as we walked. As the sky was getting bright they began to fly off one by one at serious speed like Star Trek or something. One shot the whole way across the sky leaving a trail of white light. They left flying upwards. When we got back to a friend's place there was one of them left in the sky and I asked her did she see it and did it have three white lights and she said yeah and then it just disappeared. Never have I ever seen anything like that before or have I since. Wish I did. It was fucking cool. Bit scary too. Only earlier in the night where we call him bullshit on other friends UFO stories and then they decided to reveal themselves to us or something. I only had a shitty basic phone with no camera and the lad's smartphones were dead, typical, no photos. I'll have to paint it someday instead. I tried to find out what the plane was, or I tried to find out what plane it was that took off from Shannon that morning, but I found strange forums of pilots saying that they have almost crashed trying to land in Shannon due to flying saucers in their way. I don't know what the fuck I was reading, I could spend a lifetime obsessing and still never see anything like it again. People find it hard to believe us when we recite the story, but we know what we saw. Fucking hell. So, yeah, I just thought I'd read that out. Um, Like, either the person who sent it completely made it up, but I don't think so. He's just a lad on Twitter who was like, you asked for UFO stories, here's my story. And... You know, I know people who've also seen things like that. It's 2013, so I don't think it could have been drones. You know, drones would do that, but I haven't a fucking clue. I have not a clue, but that was an interesting story. That gave me some food for thought. If you have any fun stories about ghosts or UFOs, actually don't send me ghost stories because they freak me out. UFO stories, then please send them in. Alright, good luck, God bless, have a lovely week, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast and the incident with the cat wasn't too, um, too odd for you, yort.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 